This podcast is for CAD managers in their pursuit for the perfect set of plans. Each week, we'll be doing deep dives into what CAD managers deal with every day as they manage and mentor their CAD team, build and enforce standards, develop best practices, and provide leadership and vision in the implementation of new technologies. With an extensive career as a CAD manager, I'm here to confess all my lessons learned, strategies, and all my project delivery secrets. If this sounds like the right place for you, then let's get started. I'm your host, Eric DeLeon, and welcome to the CAD Manager Confessions Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the CAD Manager Confessions Podcast. In this episode, I'm continuing my next masterclass series by interviewing another fellow CAD BIM professional. Now, I would like to introduce my next guest, Stephen Walls. Stephen is from the Charlotte, North Carolina area. He is a digital design lead for civil infrastructure, a BIM manager, Augie World BIM Sim content manager, Pluralsight author in creating civil, civil 3D training content. He's a former CAD manager and a newly minted book author. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, so before we get into this, I want to, uh, I guess, let, let you do a little promo on your on your new book. Could you? I'm excited. I got a, I got an early release of it. You know, fumbled through it. Um, some solid stuff, man. And one, just congratulations. I know that's a big accomplishment, and a lot of work goes into that type of stuff. But can Thanks. you one explain what the book's all about? I'll let you explain it as the author. Uh, what your book's all about, and maybe a little bit of the process of maybe how long it took and you know, um, all those little nuances that go into publishing a book. Sure, absolutely. Um, so definitely appreciate it. Uh, the book title is called Autodesk Civil 3D 2024 from start to finish. Um, and really, it, it took a, quite a bit of time. It took uh, between about a year, year and a half. And I do, I did this in collaboration with a co-author, Tony Sabat, to give credit to him as well. Um, and really what we were doing was we were trying to take a look at the industry as a whole, um, we, we both have been in CAD manager type roles and senior designers. So we kind of understand the nuances with civil 3D and someone who's coming in fresh into the industry, especially the civil engineering side um, and, and how long it actually takes some of those engineers, EITs, uh, technicians uh, to, to get up to speed with the program itself and understand how to apply it in a civil engineering uh, world. Um, so we tried making, keeping things practical um, along the way, but also wanted to take a, a slightly different approach from other uh, CAD or Civil 3D training manuals that are available out there and really focus, hone in on the modeling aspect. So there, there, are, there, there is a prerequisite to the book where you have to understand AutoCAD, Autodesk AutoCADs, so basic 2D and, and 3D drafting and, and modeling. Um, but understanding that that is that level set. Um, we took the approach where we wanted to really talk about the structure, the organization, proper organization of how to manage a civil 3D project from start to finish. So taking that holistic approach, we, we start off with the basics, going through template organization, talk about the different types of files that are typically managed. So 
between models that uh, you, you'll eventually end up data referencing content from that file into plan sheets and, and reference sheets uh, for production purposes, plan production purposes. Um, and then just talking about how we apply the different tools uh, from a modeling aspect um, and how we leverage them day, day in, day out. Um, so really just taking that, that holistic approach, trying to essentially create a new level set for the civil 3D modeling uh, community. Yeah, right on. I know, and I know the CAD managers and also bid managers listening, how we can appreciate um, the, uh, I guess the mindset sometimes, right? Of how we approach um, projects and how we approach the use of the software. I mean, cause it goes beyond just clicking and picking, right? right. And so if, and I, I know that's all of our challenges is like how quickly can we get our teams up to speed and know those nuances and things like this, you know, books like this, resources like this are a good way to help um, accelerate the, the ramp up time, right? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's kind of what we were trying to do is just expedite that, that learning process, that learning curve. Uh, oftentimes, a lot of the designers nowadays in the civil world are coming fresh out of school where they have civil engineering degrees. So they, they have dabbled in civil 3D, maybe potentially open roads designer uh, within their educational uh, upbringing, but they don't always understand how it applies in a real true project environment. And, and that's kind of what we were taking that context and applying that in our book. Well, well done. Um, and so how are we able to, uh, for those who might be interested in this, where can we find your book at? Sure. Um, so it's available on Amazon. Uh, again, the, the title is Autodesk Civil 3D 2024 from start to finish. Um, and it is available in Kindle, PDF, and printout version. Nice. Well, once again, congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, before we get into another question I want to get into before uh, we get into the questions is, so um, for those of you listening, uh, you're aware that I'm a, I'm a part of the Augie Board of Directors. And one of, the, one of the foundations to help us keep Augie alive and to continue to create uh, further, well, I, well, I, I want to say this, uh, to continue to help us to be what I call the, the CAD BIM content hub of the world is we rely on our content managers and so their job for those of you who don't know is that we have a, a resource augie world magazine and with that we publish different types of content to help you the listener the reader be able to learn from industry leaders and so part of the job of our content managers is the ability to one wrangle up content either by writing, authoring their own magazine articles or finding other people to do that. So with that said, Steve, thank you for your your contributions and really appreciate that from a, from a board of director member. Uh, but also what's what, what kind of got you into wanting to uh, be a part of this? Yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely appreciate the opportunity to, to be that BIM Sim content manager. Um, you know, it started way back when, probably early 2000s, when I started just looking up information, uh, looking up where I could find information around AutoCAD, Civil 3D, 
um, and some of the other programs that are being utilized in the AEC industry. And, and obviously I came across Augie World, Augie World Magazine. And at the time I was like, wow, there's a lot of great content in here and, and people are sharing some really cool tips and tricks and, and a lot of great information. And I, I, over the years of reading it and then finally getting connected to a lot of uh, the content managers on LinkedIn, I know that they were posting, hey, we need some articles. Does anybody have an interest? And at the time, this is late 2000s, uh, I'd say, um, probably around 2008, I, I had an interest, but I just didn't have time. I didn't have the capacity. Um, and I was more focused at that time, obviously, on my career, career development. And I, I wasn't necessarily comfortable with saying, hey, I'm maybe a leader. Maybe I could, I have something to share. Uh, it wasn't until about 2016 when I wrote my first article for Augie World around BIM and SIM, um, talking and uh, really comparing Civil 3D as the revenue equivalent and try, trying to introduce Civil 3D as a, or make it known that Civil 3D is a civil information modeling tool. Um, we've just been using it the wrong way. <laughs> um, we, we still rely on 2D uh, at the time techniques and workflows. But once I got my first article published, it just kind of went from there. And I, I, I ended up submitting more over the years. I think it was up to six before I ended up uh, finding, uh, talking to Todd Rogers, and he was like, hey, we're looking for a BIM SIM content manager. Would you be interested? And I know over the years, there's obviously been Civil 3D, there's been Revit content being published. And I was like, I, I know a lot on the SIM side, on the civil side. I've been a CAD manager, um, so I understand the multidiscipline environment and Revit in particular. Um, I could potentially wrangle up a couple authors that, that may want to talk about the BIM side also. I was like, hey, let me just throw my hat in the ring. And, and that's kind of where things went from there. Well, it's kind of funny how these opportunities fall in our lap, right? And I can totally, I can totally um, uh, relate with your story of um, being a being a professional in the industry and having lots of experiences, but then coming to that moment of, am I ready to share? Yeah. <laughs> am I ready to share with the industry? And what that is, when I share, is anybody going to listen or anybody going to read? It's yeah. uh, how's it going to uh, be perceived? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, and with that too is, I totally get it. I relate with that. That's to be honest. That's when I started my podcast. I'm like, well, there's other CAD managers, all these OGs before me, really good at what they do, right? But I'm like, but one of the big things I learned in my journey of doing this and, you know, mentoring others and my coaching and mentoring that I get is that, and very the kind of the foundation of this of, you know, we may walk in similar shoes, but all of our journeys are very different and our perspectives are different. And again, even though you and I respect of CAD managers, right? Um, we've had different journeys to get where we're at today. So uh, right. totally can see that. Um, <clears throat> okay, so one more thing before we get to the questions. And so I know everybody listening, sorry, I just have a lot of side stories here with Steve that him and I align with. So one of the things I found was interesting um, is that you're also a plural site author. And so I don't know too many personally, 
And for those of you, and the, for those, yeah, for <laughs> those of you who don't know what Pluralsight is, go to pluralsight.com, um, and it's a marketplace for training material. So an online, um, online content hub for all sorts of different uh, content uh, programming, Microsoft Office, CAD, BIM, 3D modeling, visualization, programming, so forth. And so um, it probably sounds like you and I were probably wrangled in uh, probably around the same time because Pluralsight reached out to me. Um, so you can tell me the stories are kind of correct. Uh, they reached out to me and said, hey, we're looking for AEC to build our AEC content, our pipeline. And we're looking for folks who have experiences with AutoCAD, Civil 3D, Revit, MicroStation, you know, so forth. Um, and went back and forth. And, you know, I think I, I ended up publishing three courses within within their marketplace all on MicroStation because there's guys like you handling the Civil 3D, Revit's, AutoCADs. And I figured, you know, since I do a lot of DOT work that I can create um, some MicroStation courses that have been sitting on there. Uh, for a long time now. So curious, yeah. did, did they come after you in a in a similar fashion, or did you reach out to them? So they didn't reach out to me directly. They reached out to uh, I believe it was Sean Herring and another individual based out of Charlotte, asking to uh, produce content for Civil 3D. Um, and they, the way that I understand it, they were trying to rewrite the whole program. They wanted a, a complete civil 3D from start to finish type of course. Mm -hmm. They wanted to produce that. Um, but Pluralsight was pushing back from my understanding and wanted to focus in on certain aspects first and kind of do do it by piecemeal. Um, and that's when they were like, well, I, I know a guy who might be interested. And then they, I got in contact with them. Um, so I was more of a referral. I'd say. Um, and, and from that point, I, at the time, I was just starting to, I was working on a really cool project here at HDR. Uh, it was a wastewater treatment plant, and I was really diving deep into the pressure networks. And I was really wrapping my head around that and trying to understand all the intricacies and making the pipe connections with the Revit models in the civil 3D world with all the yard piping, the process piping uh, involved. And I was like, let me just do this because I was very familiar with it. So I, pitched them the idea of doing something on pressure parts, pressure networks from start to finish and designing pressure networks in civil 3d. And they were on board with that. So I was like, okay, let's go with that. Um, and then once that was published, it was about a year later. Um, they had let me know that they weren't going to be continuing to, uh, I guess, produce civil 3d content. And I was like, Oh, well, that took a turn because <laughs> I was hoping that I, I could make some royalties. I thought that was one of my ways into the training world, at least <laughs> um, for video content. And um, yeah, but it, it was a great experience. It was a great learning experience that took me probably about three quarters of a year just to produce that content. Also, um, it, it's it was a good learning experience, I'd say, and, and I'm proud of it. It's still available online. I actually watch it from time to time to build up my royalties. <laughs> Don't tell anybody, but <laughs> I, I haven't done that. Yeah, I uh, so I have two MicroStation courses and an InfraWorks course, and I was gonna be I was gonna build out the whole MicroStation, um, the whole MicroStation series, and so mm -hmm. my it was it was just an interesting process because they were probably very similar to you, very gun ho, let's go go go, 
and then it actually because of my inability to move faster it probably took me three months to make each course mm-hmm. um and so by the time i scripted it got it all ready got the exercises um <clears throat> i miss i missed out on a good opportunity of if i would have done it quicker uh because yeah. like you know i have i had the whole pipeline i showed them this is where i want to go they're like great do it i, I had the green light to do the whole series it was like because mm-hmm. i was going to do a monster a monster training course, you know, um, a microstation, basically essentials course. They're like, and then my, which you probably had too. We had a, an editor that was kind of like yeah. our handler. He's mm-hmm. like, he goes, Eric, listen, why do one mega course when you can break this up into five or six courses? Yeah. And I, and I was like, huh, good idea. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, so my courses are still on there as well. I get a, I get a royalty of a royalty check every quarter for about fifty bucks. Um, <laughs> I think it's maybe, I think yeah. I peaked once at like three hundred bucks, and then obviously it's been a steady under a hundred dollars ever since. But it's nothing to retire on. I know that. No, most definitely. But <laughs> but I think what goes a long ways was was the process, right? I yeah. think that's probably more valuable than anything else. But anyway, so yeah. it's a uh, nice and welcome to. It, to meet another pl- fellow plural site uh, author so yeah absolutely all right many well, of us. <laughs> yeah well let's get into this right so um, where do you work how long have you been there and what do you do uh, so I work at HDR um, I've been here for just shy of 19 years now I started out up in the New York regional offices Pearl River New York um, where I started out as a designer civil designer um, at the time, they were just so. Take a step back. I was actually hired by a small firm, small civil and environmental engineering firm called Lawler, Matuski, and Skelly. They, at the time, were looking at developing standards, and they didn't have a lot of people on their team that really understood CAD um, and all the intricacies along with it that came along with it. And we were using Land Development Desktop at the time. So they were looking at creating everything from CTBs to drawing templates to really just everything uh, to support LDD workflows. Um, and I was like, I was new to it. Um, I previously had experience in the architectural industry. Uh, so land development desktop was, was relatively new to me, but I knew that I needed to learn it. So I was all gung-ho and I raised my hand and I was like, I'll, I'll help steer this, right? Let's, let's do this and I'll lead it. So from that point on, um, about a year of doing that, I became the CAD manager for the New York regional office for LMS, Lola Matuski and Skelly. And then a couple months after that, we were acquired by HDR. So 19, just shy of 19 years, a year of LMS, and then 18, I guess, with uh, HDR. But um, at that point, because I was the CAD manager for a smaller, it was like a 200 person firm that had four offices uh, in New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Uh, jumping up to the, being gobbled by the big fish of HDR, we had many more offices, obviously. And I, being a CAD manager, a regional CAD manager at that time, I my uh, footprint expanded. So I was really thrown into the trenches about a year and a half into my career, just trying to provide guidance as a CAD manager to multidiscipline teams and production staff and it was a whole crazy world, but I had to learn a lot. <laughs> and boy, did I. Um, 
so I, I did that for a few years. And then in 2008, uh, they had an opening in our Charlotte office at HDR. Um, my wife and I, we were looking at, at buying a house up in New Jersey. That's where we live. That's where we both come from. Um, but it was just way too expensive between the housing costs and the property taxes and everything. So we were looking to move south and there was a great opportunity in Charlotte. They were opening a multidiscipline design center and they needed a CAD manager. Um, so I hopped on that opportunity. Everything worked out, um, came down here. That's where I've been since 2008. Um, again, I was a CAD manager uh, for a multidiscipline design team. We had several Per, uh, like, I guess, permanent employees and also temporary employees that were uh, my direct reports. We had as many as 14 people uh, reporting to me um, from all different disciplines, mechanical, electrical, uh, a lot of civil, um, structural, and process. And uh, I held that for, I held that position for about four years. So it was about 2012, I think it was. There, HDR as a whole was really pushing BIM and Revit. We had started dabbling a couple of years prior in the, on the Bentley side with, uh, was it open plant or plant space or something like that. Um, and then they, they decided to switch over to Revit for all vertical construction. And I was like, hold on, wait a minute. That's another program I got to learn. And I'm like, I think I just want to go back to my roots, learn the civil, just focus on civil from that, that point forward. So I actually, actually stepped out of that role of the multidiscipline design center CAD manager to really focus on what really drove me, drove my passion. And that was the civil world, civil 3D in particular. From that point, um, I was uh, I started out as three employees. We had two engineers, no, it was four, it was four employees, two engineers and two designers. And then we had grown over the course of eight years, I'd say, to a 20 person team. So I was able to see all that growth. And I was, during that whole time, I was providing guidance as a senior designer. Um, I was a CAD manager for the civil world um, and, and doing a lot of the coordination and handshaking with the vertical guys. Um, it was about 20, 18, 2016, I started dabbling in InfraWorks. So I started extending uh, my knowledge on the civil side and really trying to understand what, what else we could do outside of the civil 3D world uh, to extend our designs and, and share, our, share our designs for public outreach purposes, um, looking at some of the interactive technology as well. At that time, it was Autodesk Stingray. Um, and I had seen a cool video um, at, at around that time where they took a civil 3D model into InfraWorks, pushed it into 3DS Max and then into Stingray. And I was like, well, that's really cool, but who's got time for that? And who wants to play a game with their civil 3D model, right? But then it started clicking. I was like, well, InfraWorks is actually really, if, if you get familiar with it, it's really just an extension. It's just another arm to the civil 3D world because now everything's exchangeable pretty relatively easily, relatively seamlessly. And then just pushing it into that uh, visual or virtual immersive environment, it's showing people, you could do walkthroughs, you're not necessarily driving a car per se, but you could check space requirements and you could check all these different things, right? And get, it's not so interpretive. You could, uh, clients can actually see what the design looks like and I have to try to think of what it's gonna look like.
So it removes that part of the process. So I started dabbling in the visualization stuff, um, 3ds Max a little bit with the rendering side, and then Dynamo came around. Um, it was uh, I, I sat in on a couple classes uh, at AU for for Revit on, on the Revit side when Dynamo was introduced um, for Revit. And I was like, this would be really cool if it were introduced in Civil 3D or made available in Civil 3D. And then 2020 came out and it was available, and I was like, wow, let's get on that board. <laughs> Um, so I started getting into the automation side. Um, 2020 was around that same time that I started dabbling in Dynamo that I took on a new position um, at HDR where I became the digital design lead for civil infrastructure. So I wasn't necessarily just leading a, a, a local team. I was now leading a, a company-wide team um, of digital design leads now and civil infrastructure experts. Um, so I currently coordinate uh, with all the business group digital design leads, business group leadership, managers, uh, business class leaders, uh, ITG, our vendors, and, and really what, we're, what our focus is on is really evaluating existing technology and new technology coming uh, down the line to make sure that we're prepared for to adopt that uh, new technology. So in my current role, we're essentially the advisor, the driver, and enabler of all these different technologies, whether it be existing or new technology. Yeah, so it sounds like you don't have uh, any boring days at the office. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> it's very, very busy here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, in my current role, um, that's part of what I do as well is, um, you know, I'm the new technology guy and really crap, you know, making sure, like you said, what what new tech is out there? How can we couple it and merge it with our existing technologies to help us work internally better, faster, smarter, but also in return, create a potential added value service to our clients, right? right. And so things like that. So let me unpack a couple of things here because you and I, man, we have a very similar career path and <clears throat> journey. And so one is I, I love me some Stingray. So that was interesting because back in the day but you're you're correct right i mean so being the new technology guy my whole career you know just like you said right taking something from um you know cad to to 3d studio max to stingray or it's a lot of hoops nobody wants to do that right right and then the chances that you get to do it at least for me were like once every three to six months six to nine months and then i'm like how did I do that again? And I even look at my file trying to unpack it. Even I take notes. I'm like, I don't even know how I, right. that, that's like, that's looks awesome. But man, how did I do that? And then of course, InfraWorks came on the scene and you're like, wish I had this 10 years ago yep. <laughs> type of deal. But, uh, but let, let me ask you this. So what were the challenges? And again, I know things are a little bit better now, but as you introduce new technologies, what are some of those challenges that you run into for the ones where there's, I call, or where there's lots of friction, right? You have to jump through hoops to get to the end result. So, I mean, what are some of those challenges like that are you running into in the adoption and or the implementation of your teams? Um, the biggest challenge is that people are very comfortable with where they're at. Right. <laughs> they Correct. don't necessarily, if things are, are working, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. <laughs> yep. Um, 
the the hardest part is trying to sell even even more of the senior staff that that know that there's value it's really showing them the value and how it can speed up the process you could talk about dynamo all day long and i have um and talked about the value and i've gotten a, a ton of pushback there's a lot of people who are still very anti-dynamo even at this point just because they they feel like they're they're comfortable with the workflows they could find if they took the time and did the research, they could find quicker solutions in Civil 3D to, to handle something. Um, but that's the part of it. It's people are strapped for time, not necessarily just to learn Dynamo and, and to build out scripts to streamline their tasks, but even to do that, that simple piece that they say they're going to do and do some research and, and try to speed up those workflows natively in the program. The time is very of the essence really budgets continue to shrink we have we are expected to do a lot more with the tools that we have and there's no not enough time available to our production staff to uh handle training to to go out and really do things on their own it's those unicorns that are really going to go out on their own time to learn the new tools the new technologies and new workflows um and, and figure out how they can speed up those tasks uh, those day in day out uh, workflows, but really that's what it takes. It, it takes a lot of your own time, unfortunately, in our current world uh, to to learn that to do that. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I get. I think the challenge also is, you know, you say, and I just had a conversation with somebody today about this. I, just the general thought of how time is our probably our most valuable asset because we don't get it back, right? right. So therefore, we have to be very strategic with how we do things just personally, professionally, right? You always have to be mindful of what's taking taking your time. But at the same time though, in a business standpoint, it's like, why would we invest the time to take something down from 10 clicks to two when that's compounded across the whole company? Mm -hmm. There's some, and especially since we're all expected to do more with less, we got to find ways to more with less and not as, and even less with less time, less schedule and less resources. There's not as many of us out there, right? right. Like, like there used to be. So um, I think, I truly think we're doing we're doing it internally at our firm is just looking at how can we automate more just to help us because there's just this big gap in resources to help us get there. So one thing mm -hmm. we can't control is how to best maximize the time and resources that we do have. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And it's really about personal investment, um, the way I see it, not just necessarily learning, but even going back to the Augie discussion and throwing articles out there. It's a, it's a personal investment. You're putting yourself out there. You're not, learn, not necessarily always learning, but maybe you're reaching out, you're networking, and you're using your personal time to learn things, to better yourself, to better your position and, and get yourself ahead um, in your career. Um, one of the big roadblocks I've seen going back to the Dynamo discussion also is that there's a lot of people, a lot of programmers uh, at HDR and, and across the AEC that are saying that we could do this better in C Sharp or we could do this better in other code where Dynamo is really considered that proof of concept. 
that. But, and it wasn't until recently where it finally clicked. I was like, well, you're, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you could probably automate this better by leveraging the APIs and C Sharp or some other coding yeah, program, yeah, right? Yeah, .NET or whatever, yeah. yeah. But to, to know that it can be done within Dynamo allows you to take that next step and, and make that pitch to develop something. But you need, from that point, we don't always have develop, we, we have a couple developers in-house. Uh, we have a, a team, I wanna say of 10, but they're completely swamped, completely busy, and we just don't have enough of those <laughs> types of people. So sometimes you're, you're left with Dynamo. Um, and, and you'll have to figure it out yourself unless you're going to go out in your own personal time to learn C Sharp or some of these programming languages. Um, it goes back to that personal investment. Yeah, we're, we're in the same boat. Uh, we have, a, we have, you know, HDR is well, well, way bigger than us. But we have, you know, it's the first firm I've been at besides the big monsters like you're, that you work for. The big international firms where... Um, yeah, they have programmers, but they're all they're all busy with corporate <laughs> corporate uh, tasks and initiatives. And so, right. But you know, so go and I don't want to beat a dead horse with this, but I think you and I have gotten to where we've gotten to because we, we were unicorns in that we knew if we wanted to get it, we wanted any kind of leverage when it came to our careers. And I teach this all the time. You have if that's if that's what you're looking for. Maybe you're not happy where you're at. Maybe you just want to be able to do more and you know you're made for something beyond and nothing there's nothing wrong with it. If you think you're you can you want to be more ambitious of being just, you know, just doing the designing and the drafting or whatever, right? I mean, there's so many opportunities. And so, but with that said, is they're not gonna fall in your some do fall in your lap if you're lucky. But some of it especially in the AEC, we know this, right? Is that you're gonna have to go make your statement. You're gonna have to do the, the, the work on the weekends, on the lunches, and this is what I had to do in order to get that competitive advantage. So when I wanted to raise or wanted to switch jobs or promotion, I was able to back it up by I'm doing this now. You're paying me for this, but I can do this. So let's do this. <laughs> let's do more of this and right. show the value, right? But um, are you finding it a challenge to um, with people within within your realm uh, or in your responsibility some perhaps lack of initiative? I'm just curious how it is for other folks. Um, it it goes both ways. Um, there, I definitely talk to a lot of people that are very gung ho and willing to make that investment. Um, but then there's it's it's a mixed bag. I'd say there, there are others that if it's work related, if it's bettering my career at work, then I expect work to fund it hey. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, but... and it's not like you can just push people like and say, you've got to do this on your own time. That's it. <laughs> it's, no. it's totally justifiable that, that yeah. the work should cover that. Yeah. Some so. of it. I mean, again, it depends. I mean, if it's to do your, the job in which you've been hired, Yes, they need to help you be able to grow and strengthen that. If you're looking mm -hmm. for an edge, a competitive competitive advantage, that's where it's going to be on your own, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, so within all your experiences, how how long have you been in CAD BIM management? Since 2004. 
right? Yeah. So what are we talking? Almost 20 years, 19 yeah. years, 19 just shy years, of 19 yeah. years. Yeah, great. I know we talked about this a little bit, but what are some challenges that you're running into as a CAD BIM leader? And what actions are you taking to overcome those challenges? So I'd say one of the biggest things that I've seen over the years here at HDR, as you mentioned, it's a huge firm. And I think it's like now 12,000 plus employees, multiple business groups. We have transportation, um, which is one of our biggest. Um, we have the water group, uh, the water business group. We have resources. We have building engineering services, federal architectural and resources. So when I was a regional CAD manager um, at, in Charlotte for the Multidiscipline Design Center, I was part of building engineering services. We supported a lot of the business groups, the majority of them, except for transportation. Transportation had kind of done their own thing. They had their own leadership um, and, and direction, right? Uh, water, and architecture to some extent um, and resources kind of leaned on BES to kind of provide some direction. One of the biggest roadblocks I, I had seen throughout that entire time up until the past couple of years when I got into my new position is that we couldn't have a unified standard or workflows being applied to exchange data, to exchange models, to do model coordination in general. Um, the, the standards themselves were would vary from not necessarily business group to business group, but also office to office, office or region to region within those business groups too. So the uniformity of everything is, is the biggest challenge with a company this size. When I got into my position uh, as the digital design lead for civil infrastructure in 2020, 2019, 2020, I really put an emphasis on that and making sure, trying to come to terms to an agreement, um, pulling groups, the leads to get to a table. Um, at that time, it was a virtual table, but a, a table in some sense. And we kind of whiteboarded how we can work together, how we can get to one standard and one workflow, at least on the civil 3D side. Let's, let's get to that, tackle the, the low hanging fruit. And then once they're able to see that value of having that unified production standard on the civil side, we can kind of take off bigger chunks of that apple, right? So that was one of the biggest things is just getting the uniformity um, across the board and getting everyone on the same page because everyone has different clients and different project managers that they got to deal with, different types of designs in general. Um, and to be, uh, I, it's one of the one of my greatest accomplishments, I think, in my position is that we were able to get that group consensus on how we were managing projects, how we were applying the standards in our environment. Um, it's it's monumental <laughs> with a company this size, I think. Yeah, great job. I mean, I think any uh, obviously a firm the size of HDR HDR just magnifies those challenges because we i'm running through that right now of developing those and working with folks I, you know and the firms i've been at before you know i've been doing this my, almost my whole career and it always just seems like obviously the bigger the firm you're at the more mag it's magnified those 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 shortcomings 
but also magnifies the 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 feat to get everybody to agree. So kudos to you, man. But but at say time though, I mean it just it takes and this is where to be I'm I'm biased at this, but to be honest, it's like this is why I love being a CAD professional. You're a CAD professional, right? In these roles, because again, I'm not knocking yep. those who aren't us. They just don't, they're just, to them, a lot of things that we do, again, doing the designing, drafting, plants production, they're okay with it's just good enough, right? We probably hear that yeah. so many times in my career, you know, engineer, designer, EI, even EITs give you attitude right out of school. And, you know, you're, you're like, but no, like to them, those little nuances like that go a long ways, right? Um, you see it, I see it. And so, um, but yeah, I, it's, it's exciting to see that, um, you know, that you were able to, you know, accomplish such a, such a feat, because I know, again, I'm going through those challenges and I understand, I know how it is for a firm of 1500, let alone, you know, organization of 12,000 people. Yeah. What was, what is one thing you wished you knew earlier on in your career that you know now? Have patience. <laughs> you want to elaborate? <laughs> Probably the biggest thing. I was in New Jersey. What's that? Sorry. No, sorry. We had just a little bit of a connection problem there. Just elaborate, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, patience. So I grew up in New York and New Jersey, and it's obviously a fast-paced environment, and, and you kind of want things now, right? And there are even people now that, that still want that, regardless of location, because of how, how much technology has advanced. But I'd say patience in the sense that I became a cab manager very quickly. Like I mentioned, it was within a year into my first real job in the civil engineering world. And I just assumed that that was the speed of things that I was going to advance in my career. Um, and, and I, I didn't have the patience at that time. I, to be honest, I, I thought I was going to be advancing a, a lot quicker and I don't know where I was going per se. So sometimes you really just need to take a step back and really kind of take a look at things and evaluate your entire situation and have the patience and understanding that things aren't just going to always be handed to you in your career. You are going to have to go out. You're going to have to do other things to occupy your time, occupy your mind to make sure that you can be sat, be comfortable with, with where with your current position, right. With where you're at. Um, that's one of the reasons why I continue throughout my entire career to go out on my own and learn new technologies and tools and solutions is because I needed something to occupy my time. Um, but I didn't realize that that all I needed was, was patience. <laughs> and I could spend more time with my family and, and not necessarily um, waste all my free time. Well, not waste. It's not a waste, I'd say, but use up a lot of my free time to focus on furthering my career when it would just come naturally. Yeah, I mean, good lesson there. I mean, I think that makes sense, all, okay. Oh, totally, dude, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, man. Uh, yeah, totally with you. 
And it's even probably a little bit more challenging in, you know, when you work for, a, 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 to be honest, an AEC firm, and even more so if you work for a DOT, because it's just the nature of civil engineering and then, of course, the red tape of a DOT. That's why I worked for the Oregon Department of Transportation for a couple of years, and I had to balance. I just wasn't for me. A lot of people are made for the steady, eight, you know, eight to five, eight, call it eight and skate. Um, I just was, I just wanted to do more. I just felt like I was a, a, a lion in a cage and I just wanted to get out. And, you know, just again, yeah. I understood patience, but at the same time, it was, um, yeah, just hard, you know, to, to go in those constraints. But like you said, sometimes it's patience, right? I mean, in those, in, in our industries, it does take time to move through the, the, the rungs of, you know, CAD drafter, designer, technician, to senior designer, technician, to CAD coordinator, BIM coordinator, you know, CAD manager, production manager, um, you know, and you being like a corporate lead person. I mean, that just takes time. Um, you may get lucky and yeah. thrown into the deep end. Um, that's not that's not usually the case, kind of like you were when you, you guys got acquired by HDR back in the day. But um, sometimes that just happens due circumstance. At the same time, though, um, and the way that things are in society doesn't doesn't help any, right? Because we do want instant gratification, or um, I want to be able to make my six figures, you know, three years out of college, um, you know, type of deal. Yeah. So, but yeah, set we'll, realistic goals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for, for sure. Um, what would you consider to be to be your CAD BIM manager superpower? Um, I don't know that I have any real superpower hours um i'll say that i'm adaptable to a lot of different situations um that are thrown my way i'm i'm able to get along and make light of situations i'm able to get along with a lot of people that other people may struggle to get along with um and that's just that's just really me i'm more of a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. I try to find the humor in a lot of things. I try to find the, the bright side. I'm more of an optimist than a pessimist. And we work with a lot of pessimists, <laughs> straight yeah, up. Yeah, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> um, so just being adaptable to different situations um, and, and learning how to um, communicate your, your ideas, your thoughts, and try to get them on board with the things that you're thinking, or at least have them understand where you're coming from. Yeah, that was a really good. That's really good. So a couple couple things, I guess. One is so some of that sounds like that's just who you are, and for the things that aren't that you feel like you're really good at, how are you? How are you able to um, acquire the confidence in those skills? In which skills? I'm sorry. Well, you were just saying in general, right? Just looking at the bright side of things and how articulate your ideas to people. I mean, that. I mean, you have to you have to go through things to learn that kind of stuff. So curious. Uh, yeah. yeah. Somebody's, somebody's listening, going, "Wow, that that sounds really cool." But, and again, some of it's you because that's just who you are. But for that stuff that wasn't, uh, you know, how how do you go about doing that? Um. I, I... That's that's tough. Um, I'd say just be knowledgeable of the subject you're approaching um, before approaching it. Don't go in cold. 
um, and, and not know enough about a certain subject, I guess, if it's something that you're really passionate about. Um, what, what I've learned is that one key aspect to getting along with people is listening to them first. There's a lot of people that like to talk and it could be right or wrong, um, but they need to be heard. And whether they want their point proven or not, they just need to be heard, which is perfectly fine. Listen, that's all you gotta do is listen. Listen to their side. Don't necessarily, it doesn't mean that you have to come back with a rebuttal right away, but have a conversation. Don't, don't turn it into a this for that kind of thing. Um, yeah, just be understanding and, and make sure that, that they're being heard as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's one of the big things that um, reading, listening to other different types of podcasts, the books that I read, people that I follow online, and that's a huge, I think that's probably one of the biggest overlooked or underestimated traits, right? It's just listening. And I think mm -hmm. it goes a long ways because I know as for CAD managers, we're always used to being fixers and firefighters, yeah. right? And so even though, and as soon as somebody says that, you know, hey, I'm doing a, a pipe network in Civil 3D, this is, and you're already, your mind's already spinning four or five steps ahead. And sometimes we tend to say the answer before they're even done. And most of the times we're probably right, right? right. But in some cases, and just like you said, I think I've learned that if you can just, if we as managers could just bite our tongue <laughs> for just a, <laughs> just a few seconds to allow yep. them to articulate their issue, their challenge, they, maybe they just want to vent. Um, we don't always have to put out that fire. We will, and I mean, on that moment, and we yeah. don't always have to fix it right away. <laughs> it right. goes a long ways, right? So in those moments, I'm just curious, have you noticed like the demeanor of the people that you've been helping with a little bit different? Should, if you're more short with them and just, you know, talked over them? I'm just curious. Oh yeah, uh, definitely completely different. Um, I, I see the way that some, some folks that I get along with great, I see the way that they interact with others and it's very short and um, not agreeable and a lot of rushing to judgment kind of thing. And that's because they, it's two people that just want to talk. They want to, they both want to get their voices heard. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, for sure. It's <laughs> going to be a fly on the wall for now. <laughs> You're like, uh, I got another meeting, so good luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are what are one or two CADBIM commandments that you live by without fail? Learn how to live with technology. Um, there's a lot, of, especially now with the rapid growth of, of the different technology solutions, everything being introduced like all at once, it seems like. There's a lot of discussion around AI, obviously, chat GPT, um, AI ML, um, different visualization tools and, and whatnot. Learn to work with it and, and don't be scared of it um, and try to figure out how you can incorporate that into your workflows. And the other one is probably just be curious, uh, understand. I know this was said on previous podcasts, but I, yeah. I completely 1000% agree with that. Be curious. 
yeah, and try are... to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we lose that a little bit, right? I mean, they always say, you know, be curious like a child, right? Because, I mean, if you look at, in, you know, you have kids, I have kids. I mean, mine are growing now, are, you know, 16, 18, and 22. But, you know, watching them and even now a little bit where, you know, they still are curious about things. And it's okay because there's no consequences to I'm going right. to go try this thing out. I really don't care if anybody sees me as I'm dancing to a TikTok in the middle of the road or, <laughs> you know, but it's just one of those things like, you know, even though adults have gotten in on the shenanigans as well, but, you know, it's just like, I don't know, man. I just, I just, I just don't get it for those who just don't want to be curious. <laughs> right. I think that's, that helps drive innovation, um, new ideas and, you know, just, yeah, just a lot of opportunity there that I think we miss because we're, yeah. we're too busy adulting. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's just. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, one thing that, that I've done a lot over my career is there's a lot of different tools when they first come out in the AEC industry that are very easily integratable with the Revit side of the house. It, it seems like every new tool that's like a standard, it has to be integrated with Revit. Well, I try on the civil side to take those and figure out how we can leverage them on the civil 3D side. Mm -hmm. And I've pretty much done that my entire career is, is try to embrace that, understanding that it's for the vertical side. How can we use that on our side? And there's many tools that we've been able to use because of my curiosity and trying to embrace that on the civil side and try to contact the vendors and say, hey, Let's let's work together. Let's figure this out. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I was mentored that earlier on in my career. Was you know always I was actually took it one step further. In that, my my one boss was boss mentor. She was like, look outside of our industry. And so for me was you know we're doing I was doing a lot of visualization back then and animations, and so I would look at the entertainment space, the game, the the video game space, the movie space, you know, just trying, like you said, just being curious of seeing, look at all these technologies, workflows, deliverables, right? How can we bring that into the AEC industry? <laughs> you know, and so, yeah. and it's just, I think if we do that, I mean, again, it just shines a different perspective, like, oh, I didn't know we can use game engines for, our design content, CAD content, um, even to the point where, you know, I was an early adopter of some 3D where we did some of the stereographic 3D images with the blue and mm -hmm. red goggles or glasses. And we would do things yep. like that, just trying to do a different experience. Same thing, just using different technologies to give a different experience. And yeah, it just seems like if we weren't curious, I think we'd miss out on a lot of cool opportunities, right? That could turn into yeah. real solutions, real services right and so, right absolutely i mean even going back to that stingray uh example yeah. I mentioned earlier <laughs> i mean it, it's a game but how do you yeah. make that something that's practical in aec well it's a design tool a design review tool <laughs> yeah yeah i looked at stingray as well yeah it was on it was on yeah. my computer at that time when it was when it first came out and things like that so it's it's crazy to see another fellow stingray right? <laughs> uh what trait do you think someone needs to have to be a great CAD BIM manager? Um, communication, 
good communication skills, uh, being able to identify and understand um, the project situation, your reports situations, um, being compassionate, I'd say, um, and being relatable. You don't necessarily want to take a, a cab management position and be like, I'm the superior. You want to be at their level, essentially. Um, you want to be their friend. That's how, that's how I guess the bonds are, are made. Um, that's how you're going to be able to build teams and camaraderie within the office, within your project uh, teams, within your environment itself. You're going to be happy to go to work. They're going to be happy to go to work. I think that's that's what it comes down to is building those relationships through a lot of these different traits, I guess, that I mentioned. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I mean, I think I think that gets overlooked. That's kind of, you know, one of the things why I, I do this podcast to highlight things like this and advice from folks like you as well, because I'm a believer in that as well. I think I've been able to make a a good obviously some people probably didn't like working for me or with me, but that wasn't because of me. Um, you know, they just, whatever reason they had, um, you know, cause I'm usually, you and I look like we probably roll the same way, right? Very optimistic, very upbeat, usually smiling, um, and always looking for, uh, to include others and making sure that things that we can work the best that we can together. Right. Um, and I take pride in being a servant leader. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not, it's not me and you, it's us, you know, it's more horizontal together, almost like arm to arm, because I can't do what I do without you and you can't do it without me. And collectively we all have the different skills. And so with that is that's what makes a great team. It was like, we don't, yeah, the CAD manager has to, or BIM manager has to know more and do more, but doesn't mean they have to necessarily know everything like everybody right. else. <laughs> I think if yeah. you feel like you're that to do that, um, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough because again, you're not looking at the team, the team structure and why a team's a team and how to leverage others for, you know, not say your weaknesses, but for those things that you're not as experienced in. Yeah. And, and I couldn't agree more. And that's something that actually took me a little while in my career to learn also is that you don't have to be the expert in all things. Right. That's tough. Um, that's it, tough, it in our, it's tough in our roles. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you want to be, you're that go-to person, right? You start a lot of people that become CAD managers or BIM managers are a power user. Yep. They're a designer that was relied on very heavily and is kind of elevated, elevating their career through that path. Right. Because they're that go-to person. Um, because they're the expert. But once you get into that CAD manager position, I'm, I mean, it, I guess it all depends on the, the, the disciplines that are involved and the environment you work in and how many people work for your company. But at least in my experience with this bigger company, I was really fully aware of Civil 3D. That, but I all of a sudden became a multidiscipline design center CAD manager. So I had mechanical people reporting to me, electrical and instrumentation and structural. And it was like, I can't necessarily provide the right guidance, but I could manage you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know all those disciplines. I, I know some, but I don't know a lot of it and all the design intricacies that are involved from a production standpoint either. So I relied on them to, to 
kind of bring me up to speed also. And we kind of worked off each other. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And again, um, the power of a team, right. And kind of, to be honest, it's kind of letting go of our ego a little bit. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, totally. I think that goes a long <laughs> ways. And again, nothing wrong with, if you're able to, to do that, you know, learn all those things. Great. Good for, good for you. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously it's going to make you that much stronger, but at the end of the day, is it truly required? And is your potential upper management really looking for you to be the end all be all of all things? Probably not because they're not <laughs> it's uh, but yeah. anyway, so yeah, really well said. Um, what are your thoughts on the future of Cat and Ben? Uh, there's a lot going on. <laughs> That's my thought. Um, obviously, I, I mentioned AI automation. Um, what kind of interests me now is there's a, a product out there that's been out there for a couple of years called Archeo, and it's more for like ID8 um, designing, so like mm -hmm. conceptual designs in a virtual reality environment. Some really cool things, and, and that's something that I was half jokingly talking about at the beginning of my career back in 2004, 2005 with, with some of the people I was working with that imagine 20, 30 years from now, we're going to be actually designing in a virtual reality environment. And we're, we've obviously seen the progression of virtual reality and we could, in a, we could leverage it for design review purposes and, and get that immersive experience. But now they're coming out with new tools and technologies where you could actually do your design in the virtual reality environment. And it's like mind blowing to some extent. Um, another trend that definitely excites me is the concept of open BIM and open data exchanges, mm -hmm. IFC. Um, and going back to the whole uh, workflow that I did with trying to get everyone at HDR on board, all the different uh, business groups to have that unified standard, right? And workflow. This is going to be something that gets all AEC firms kind of on that same page too. And there's a lot of DOTs and FHWA looking at open BIM and open data exchanges and model as the legal document by way of IFC um, and, and a lot of these things. So there's a lot of people looking at this and, and I think it's going to help us all out in, in the end because we won't have to necessarily focus on civil 3D. Uh, if there's a company that uses some other program, some other civil software design program, other than Civil 3D, it's not like they're excluded from that particular job, whether it be Open Roads, if they're familiar with Open Roads, they could use Open Roads and still submit in IFC format. So it's becoming more of a software agnostic kind of environment, and I'm excited about that. Yeah, which leads me, I, I meant to ask you about this earlier, because the, the kind of the state of your position is you know i guess what leading into that what's your overall thoughts of the the new mandates and the the coin word of the moment of digital project delivery it's Cause interesting because it, it goes on because that opens yeah. that open file format thing it's kind of a it's kind of a, a part of that so i'm just curious your general thoughts of digital project delivery yeah i i think we're we still have a ways to go um, I don't think it's for every industry right now, uh, I guess within AEC. Um, obviously, transportation's taking a hard look at that with the DOTs and FHWA. They're looking at adopting this. And there's even a lot of DOTs 
companies that are um, trialing uh, the, the concept of model as a legal document. I think once DOTs figure that out, I, I think it's going to just be a domino effect where it's going to start hitting other industries. But I, th I think somebody in industry needs to take that lead and figure it out. And then once it's figured out, then we can kind of replicate that across all of AEC. And uh, I mean, obviously US is way far behind in this whole um, race. Uh, yeah. It's been progressing for a number of years over in Europe and Asia and even Australia um, with ISO 19650 and, and different types of BIM exchanges um, BIM and data exchanges and integrations into other technology solutions as well. Um, like drone technology and scanning and all that stuff. So it's interesting. I think there's a lot we can learn still. And I think the U.S. in particular is still a little ways out there for it to be across or affect all of AEC as a whole. Um, but I think we're there. I think we're getting there. I mean, we're taking steps in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. There's a article done in Fast Company. Not sure if you saw it. Uh, a 2,000 foot bridge was construct, designed, model, designed, constructed in Norway, um, and it was a a paperless submittal, right? Paperless construction, yep. and so it's things like that. Again, like you said, I think outside the U.S., I think they have some of those BIM workflows down a little bit more across their engineering, designing, and construction, the contractors, things like that. And again, we have lots to learn. And again, that's where looking outside of our own market how can we get inspiration from these folks and type of deal and yeah we're the same way I mean, we have dot clients and so you know we're following obviously all those trends as well the one thing i'm curious about one is obviously for cad folks right we're we're production so production means sheets so the yeah. thought of no sheets is interesting but also just the whole we had this conversation wrapped around uh, machine control and putting, you know, give, giving the grading machines your surfaces and things like that for it to do it, you know, to do the grading automatically. And so, so the, always the question is, and this, I think the question is going to go into this as well is how do you traditionally certify stamp a 3D model, right? A 3D surface, a 3D alignment. Right. So th those are the things like you're saying, I think once one sector figures it out and runs it through, you know, the, the legal and risk aspects of it from a consulting firm, construction firm, and an agency that governs all of the, the you know, the professional engineers, you know, scientists, landscape architects, you know, um, land surveyors, things like that. Once they think they figure that those outs, I think we're going to see a lot of dominoes falling at the same time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, where can the CAD Manager Confessions audience follow you in your journey? Um, uh, so I've got a blog called Design to Visualization, one word, dot com. Um, I also have a YouTube channel that I've been pretty slack on. Uh, I've I, I created that a couple of years ago with the intention of creating videos at least once a month. Um, but with the book and everything, I kind of got um, distracted. So I do plan on putting more effort back up there. Um, so go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel. 
LinkedIn is the best place to contact me though. I'm always on LinkedIn, plugged in, uh, message me, post, um, tag me, whatever you got to do. And obviously Augie World Magazine, where I occasionally publish some articles uh, around the BIM Sim content. Right on. Yeah, I'll make sure I have those in the show notes. And also, why not just show a screen grab of you doing a couple of your um, workflows from your book? And then yep. if you want to know if you want to know the whole how to do the rest of it, here's my Ama <laughs> here's my Amazon.com link. <laughs> uh, anyway, so exciting, man. Teasers, yep. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so before we say goodbye, any parting advice or thoughts to the CAD BIM management community? Good luck. Um, put yourself out there. If you want to, if you want to excel in this career, this type of career, you definitely got to put yourself out there, right? Whether it be for personal investment or whatever the case may be, it's always good to just make contacts and build your network and, and learn from others. Um, which is why I was all on board with doing this podcast. I mean, you, you got a lot of great guests and I've personally just over the past couple of weeks I've learned quite a bit myself and I definitely appreciate everything you're doing um and continue continue on please <laughs> well thank you Stephen uh, for being a part of the podcast and for those of you listening to this episode thank you for pressing play Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you found the things we talked about today valuable, I would be honored if you would subscribe and or leave a review. Until next time, continue to challenge the status quo, be the leader you wish you had, don't be afraid to step into your greatness, and good luck in your pursuit for the perfect set of plans.